neighbors are moving. <laughs> Welcome to the ATX TV podcast being recorded from Caitlin's home. Her neighbors are moving. <laughs> I thought you were starting and I was I like, I mean, I kind of was. Oh, you can do it if you want. <laughs> Welcome to the summer edition of ATX TV campfire. It's very casual. Yep. Do we want to talk about what we're wearing? Because it's costume panel. <laughs> I'm very into overalls, guys, if you didn't know. And I bought these, not that anyone asked, on Amazon for $18. <laughs> I really like them. That's uh, that's a great value. I think it is. Well done. They're functional. And I don't know if they're stylish. And I don't care. I feel like comfortable is the priority right now. You know? For many reasons. Yeah. But for all of us, honestly, summer in Texas, I... <laughs> going to have a weather tangent because everybody likes a weather tangent, right? We had in, oh, okay, we're in July. So like middle of June, we got over 100 degrees. It was very hot. It was very sweltering. It is by no means cool now, but only in Austin are you feeling great when it's 98 instead of 108. And I can feel the difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for it. And there's a breeze sometimes. And it's not just a hot box. So, yeah, I mean, 94 is like a, like a spring day almost. Yeah. Time to frolic. Fourth of July weekend, I was not in the hundreds and I still spent a lot of it in bodies of water and that was nice. Also for out of towners or locals, Barton Springs in the summer is a rough place to go. (laughs) There's a very long line. It's a little Disney World like. And I highly suggest Deep Eddie. Something I wouldn't have said last week. It's a useful recommendation right now. I, th- I think it is. Well, what, did you, what did you get also at Deep Eddie? What do they have there that is also delightful? Pool burger. Yeah. 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 Pool burger is next to the pool. And it's a tiki bar with boxes of burgers. And I got, I'm not a vegetarian, veggie burger on point. Real delicious. Evan got a triple. I my eyeballs kind of popped out of my head, and he goes, "It's a holiday." <laughs> and I was like, "Good for you, America." <laughs> um, I also say they had a pineapple lemonade made from scratch that was delightful. Just pineapple and lemon, and- I guess. Uh, some soda mm-hmm. water, I think. But the bartender made it, so I had to wait. But it was delicious. That tiki style, good. tiki ice. Mm-hmm. I don't know what t- tiki ice is. Versus- it's kind of like Sonic ice. Oh, it kind of looks okay. like a snow cone. That does sound good. Yeah. I mean, it. I July 4th did up. I did not. Lazy Rivered. I don't but, know when this podcast is coming out. I'm sure we just like totally. I do too. It's it's the it's, end of the month, you guys. We <laughs> did, did ourselves very hard and you're welcome. But it's the summer and we're doing what we can. <laughs> yep. Um, but we can get back to costumes. I like your look. It's got a very denim. Denim blue. Yeah. Lots of various blues. Is your hat denim too? No. Okay. <laughs> it's just like a washed cotton something mm. did you think about this when you put it on this morning i didn't i, I probably said, have too many layers on still for you definitely texas in july, but. although texas in july also means it's freezing in every yeah location you go inside and so layers are actually very smart i often wonder this there's a lot of talk i'm gonna stay on costumes because this was our first costume panel ever and i'm very proud of it and you should be because you did it 
and I think it's super cool and we want to do more of them. And we were offered costumes on display, but we did not have dress forms. <laughs> yeah. A little so, earlier next time we'll make that happen. Yeah, we'll I think it's very cool. That for sure. But the idea of both everyday people in your everyday life, how you choose what to wear versus what you would choose to put on characters and what that says about them. Because I will say I definitely make choices when I get dressed. <laughs> like in the sense that I think they they famously have said like Steve Jobs had all the black turtle mix or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And like so that you did and Bill Gates, I think similar, like have a uniform so they don't have to make decisions. I don't have that. I definitely make decisions. It's more pajama day, yoga pants, <laughs> the overalls, or like, am I actually getting dressed? I don't think in those decisions I ever think about what it says about me or like what my style is. And I'm always kind of surprised. I remember the first time it happened was in college. Somebody was like, oh, that looks like you. Like in mm-hmm. a, like we were shopping. I was like, this looks like you. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like I hadn't thought about what looks like me and I I do now and I I, I mean I associate overalls with you now now coveralls? Yeah, that's overalls? Been like coveralls I call them overalls but I think coveralls coveralls have long or, sleeves I think they're like more like, like my button up thing like my dad used to wear them to work at like oh, the plant yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. like a like yeah. um what's that brand Dickies Dickies yeah yeah um that's been uh, two years maybe a year and a half that I have I was overalls in high school, Gap. And then I got a pair of Levi's. No free ads. Sorry. <laughs> Gap, adjacent. Um, Bleep that out. And uh, well, I'm going to give another one. About a year and a half, two years ago. This was, was it only a year ago. Emily, how old are you? <laughs> I'm going to be 42. Okay, two years ago, because I bought them to go on Emily's 40th birthday. I bought a pair of Levi overalls and lived in them and loved them dearly. And have now tried out. I don't love any as much as that pair. Mm. But now I do. They're they're very comfortable. And sometimes stylish, sometimes not. My mother-in-law hates them. I don't know if I care. <laughs> <laughs> I, what do I say? Uh, t- t-shirts and hats. But like that say something. Yeah. I associate with you. You're saying you don't like, you don't think about it as much just like day to day. But I feel like. We really just had the thought that like during the festival, I feel like y'all y'all's oh, yeah. clothes like is is a story. Uh-huh. Like you have to I mean you're hosting, mm-hmm. so like you're the most sort of front facing of of any of us. And like from opening night to closing night to like Sunday when we're all a little that like, is running my, out of gas. That like, is my that is my most visible and thoughtful time. And that came from the very first year and advice from Lee Evans that Jane Rosenthal did at the Tribeca Film Festival, that she picked out every day and night outfit, including jewelry and shoes, and labeled them. I don't go as intense with, like, my jewelry Mm -hmm. and things as I used to, which is, like, the most, I'll say stylish, not fashionable, but, like, it is the most thought-out outfits I have. I mean, my wedding is second to it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to the festival things. Cause there is so much at play. Like and you can't really make like decisions on the go. You have ew. to know what's I do have. We now have ringers though. Cause sometimes I've decided I put something on and I'm like, this does not work. You hate it that day. Yeah. I hate it yeah. this day. It does. And last year season 11 was the biggest audible because, and it goes back to the overalls is I had them there for like Monday 
and I could not put on another dress on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, overalls it is. And I wore overalls this year on Sunday. And now maybe a thing of like casual Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Put on some comfortable, some, there's still pants. Put on, put on I feel like pants. Sunday people should just be glad that we're like dressed. Yeah. You know, it's Laura like, had a jumpsuit on this year. I know. She was, and she rocked it. She did. I accidentally matched Chris Godfrey from HBO on Saturday <laughs> night. We showed up at ACL, <laughs> looked at each other, and the same like black oh, pants. Please, you shouldn't take a picture. <laughs> I would have been so cute. Photographic proof somewhere, but I was like, "Hey, twinsies, <laughs> that'd be so cute." Well, funny. so in transitioning, like, there's definitely shows that I think of as like st- like fashionable slash stylish, like. They're making a point that the clothes are almost a character. Yeah. For me, first would probably be like a Sex in the City. Like mm-hmm. that was just like a big part of it. Still is in the reboot. But then regularly what we think, like I just finished The Bear. And when they're not in chef outfits, there was, well, one, there's a whole storyline with Evan Moss back, back, back rack. Mm-hmm. We're starting to wear a suit and how good it makes him feel. Mm-hmm. But like, I do notice who's in coveralls and overalls and who's, like, casual and, like, what kind of style they have. Yeah. The Christmas episode, the twin, the, the Fat, Frack Brothers. It's either Fax or Fracks, but they're great. Anyway, they're twins. It's, it's a choice. Yeah. Um, But I'm just wondering, like, even thinking about our panel today, and you can talk more about, like, who these people are in their shows, but, like, we have... A league of their own, which is obviously period mm-hmm. and and stylish, like it's a certain look. Referencing the movie a lot too, but like hair and clothes, mm-hmm. P Valley, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but the but so Tracy Gigi Field, who is the costume designer for A League of Their Own, and also Poker Face, Poker Face is yeah. is the big one um, that she talks a lot about in the panel. Um, she is actually one of the first people that. I knew I wanted for this year, like when we were kind of starting to very broadly figure out like what topical panels we were going to have. Like I knew I had been following her since league came out and like, um, in a great way, like she's been very like visible during like the promotion of the series and, um, FYC stuff uh, in a way that I don't usually see costume designers like out in front like that. Um, and so I think they knew also that she had done like an amazing job. Um, and so when we started talking to Peacock about like poker face and how we could have that represented, like she is one of the first people that came to mind. And I think it is such a cool part of that show as well. And she gets to play a lot with, she has to do a lot in a very short amount of time because of the way that kind of resets itself from mm-hmm. episode to episode. Um, Aside from Charlie, who has a very specific look as well. But yeah, she's just like the coolest. And I think both of those shows are like prime examples of what costuming can do um, in terms of character. You also talk about what that and it would have been interesting. And in the future, we might do this putting an actor on it because you hear Mm -hmm. actors talk a lot about like once you get in the clothes it tells you something or you get a certain feel like I could imagine, imagine Natasha in poker face, like putting on that jacket, Mm -hmm. like puts her in a certain space and like what that relationship is like, which is why I go back to like one of my more formative was sex in the city because 
Patricia Field and Sarah Jessica Parker like picked things together about a moment and a time and a piece and like what and it said something about the character and where she was. Yeah. And I think that relationship is really interesting. So that might be a fun evolution. Yeah. For sure. Um, what about for um, Tiffany and oh, I guess Atlanta and P Valley, which I think with P Valley, I mean, strip club is. <laughs> but even, but uh, yeah, like, I mean, no, yes, I mean, it must like, be like challenge. It, I'm like, it's specific, like to try to, and uh, not that they're only in those clothes. I understand. Yeah. But it even feels specific, like within that world, like the way that certain things are uh, amplified or like uh, Uncle Clifford, like anything that Uncle Clifford is wearing is incredible. And like it's it's just feels like. I mean, I don't I don't think there's anything comparable on TV right now to like what she's doing on that show with those characters and she had just come in to season two from season one so she was kind of taking over like somebody else's vision and like tweaking it and working with you know the actors to sort of figure out like how their characters are evolving along with like what they're wearing and the a really interesting thing that she digs into in this conversation is the stunt performers and the actors and sort of how they basically have to be wearing the same thing, but you can't have the stunt performers wearing certain things because of how they're moving. Like, like the actual performing that they're expected to do, if they are wearing the same thing as the actors, like they might physically get injured or like cut or whatever. Like it's very interesting how, how practical, like practically you kind of have to think that through and um, accommodate different you know bodies and movements and stuff like that mm-hmm. um it just is very like cool and thoughtful the way that she kind of talks about that um but yeah i don't think they get to have these conversations very often so i wish we could have had a lot more time with them um and hopefully we'll have them back but and i feel like because there's only two of them they get to dig into a lot more things about like specifics and like what they see their role as that is beyond just like Costumes, like obviously it is costumes, but like their process within the group and within the production mm-hmm. and those relationships. Like I know they talk about like being problem solvers and things like that, that like yeah. this is a really cool conversation. I'm very proud we got to do it this year and that we get to build on it now the same way we have like casting and music year after year and get to go into different directions. I think that's a great start for it. Yeah. There's a lot of different conversations within this one. So, uh, yeah, I think the actor pairing would be very cool. Yeah. Next iteration. Um, Booked. And, yep. <laughs> well, enjoy uh, this conversation with Tracy Gigi Field and Tiffany Hasborn and is moderated by Nadia Chaudhry from Eater Austin. So we've got Tracy Gigi Field and Tiffany Hasborn, and I'm going to let y'all run us through your credits because your credits are wide and varied, honestly, and fantastic. Um, Okay, hi, I'm Tracy Gigi Field. Um, I started basically in like commercials and low-budget films uh, with Greg Araki, who was one of the first people that I worked with very early on. And uh, if you don't know him, he's an amazing cult director, so... 
crazy uh, in the best way. And then um, Michael Patrick King happened to see a movie called Kaboom that I did for uh, with Greg, and uh, he wanted me to do Two Broke Girls, which was a departure from um, Indie World, where I could like literally do anything, and we were always talking about SEX. And then um, now I'm on CVS, and that was a, that was a six-year project. It was super fun. And then I learned a lot. It was a sitcom, so a lot of uh, quick changes. And then, let's see, I um, transitioned into doing more like Netflix, like uh, uh, Dead to Me and... Um, I'm currently just wrapped Poker Face, and then I also just worked with, um, uh, sorry, um, I'm blanking on his name, and I shouldn't be because he's like a huge TV person. Donald okay. Glover. No, well, I can tell. Oh, you want me to say that no, one? Okay, we'll do that one too. Uh, all right, so I'll just run through the credits. So, uh, Dead to Me, and then I did After Party Season 1 with uh, Lord Miller, which is on Apple TV, which is super fun. Tiffany Haddish. Uh, not this Tiffany. And then, I know their names are close. And then, um, from there, I did A League of Their Own, which is the, uh, you know, the remake that's on Amazon, which is some of my most beautiful work. It's all set in 1943, and recreating those uniforms was uh, super fun. And uh, creating characters, trans characters, just characters that, like, you know, you hadn't seen before was uh, was was very heartfelt. It's like a it's a family environment, mostly just on Twitter. Like from those fans, um, I'm gonna go fast. I'm sorry. Uh, the fans from uh, A League of Their Own have reached out so much just to say that uh, the costumes in that show gave them. Uh, they, they were able to see themselves and they were able to dress themselves and they were able to like really like come into their own because they had a like an idea of like you know how to feel good in 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 their clothes so for me as a costume designer like that's the end all be all like that was the most amazing thing so yay that and then um I did Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar which is a hilarious movie if you have not seen it please see it I feel like it's one of the things that people have not seen but once you watch it you're like it's a huge SNL skit basically <laughs> and the costumes are like they're just super fun and in your face and like lots of pops of color so I love that one and then Poker Face as we all know uh Natasha Lyonne is Natasha Lyonne and she is uh super rad and the coolest and you know we had uh so many amazing actors in that show and then recently, I should talk about no, this. it's okay. I can say it because okay. it's out now. You're allowed to. Yeah, okay, allowed. okay. I'm allowed to say that. Uh, so for the Spider Verse, um, uh, Donald Glover's character is maybe coming back. So um, there's a little cameo of him, and I built the super suit for that for the Prowler, and uh, they actually the suit was so well built. They were originally going to just use it to create like a CGI sort of. They just use the actual suit and his face so because he was wearing it um so that was like uh that was it was a uh, that was so fucking cool so yeah <laughs> that was really rad and I had worked with Donald before like years ago uh, on a tiny movie called the to-do list and if you haven't seen that one hilarious okay I'm done your turn <laughs> There's a Donald Glover connection right here, too. Oh, there is yes. a Donald yeah. Glover connection. Um, so one of my first shows was Ballers with The Rock and John David Washington um, on HBO. Lots of uh, cameo casts on that one. From Ballers, uh, I started working with Steven Levinson, who manages Mark Wahlberg, and went to do the TV version of the Mark Wahlberg movie Shooter. Um 
Then uh, around season two or season three, we happened to get shut down early and my agent calls and they're like, we have this cool show for you that we think you're perfect for. And the show was Atlanta. And so there's the Donald Glover connection. Um, and so I was sitting in my car. There literally was an earthquake and the song Redbone started to play. So I was like, I guess I'm going to go do Atlanta. <laughs> so I ended up doing season two, all the standalone episodes of season three while they went to Europe and all of season four. Um, while uh, I did those shows, I, towards the tail end of finishing Atlanta, I took over a TV show called P-Valley. I've also done In Treatment with Uzo Aduba, which she plays a therapist. So there was this really great take on what a therapist that lives in the Baldwin Hills, Ladera Heights area look like and what the influence for that character was. Um, I've done an Adam Sandler movie called Hustle. My first, uh, my first feature film was Without Remorse, which is a Tom Clancy um, with Michael B. Jordan. I just finished last year a movie called Shadow Force with Kerry Washington and Omar C. Um, that is basically the story of two, a, a, couple, a spy couple, um, which was really fun. We shot in Colombia. Um, this summer, I did a period movie, my first period movie called Sweetwater, which is the first story about the first black NBA player that actually signed to the New York Knicks. I'm a New Yorker, so I was super excited to tell the story. And my director was from Queens. I'm pretty sure he hired me because I was from Queens. <laughs> um, Yay, Queens. We, re we, we connected on that, right? Um, and I've done, I, I feel like you feel, I'm like, I'm like I can't think of <laughs> all the, there's so much. Um, and, and sometimes you work on projects that aren't out yet, but they're still in the works. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that I'm happy to talk about today is what we built season two on P-Valley. Because it isn't what people think. Mm. I have an interesting perspective. Thank you so much for, I love, like, your credits and amazing experiences are fantastic and amazing, and I love this so much. Um, so my first question for y'all is, how do you approach, when you get hired to do a show, how do you approach building these, the, the guiding principle, I would say, of, like, costuming and outfitting a show? Like, say, with P-Valley or, like, with Poker Face. Okay, so the way I feel like it usually starts is you get the script and then um, you're excited about the characters, you start to visualize the characters, and then there's like all this like inspiration, right? Like it could be from an art book, it could be from people on the street. I love walking down the street and like snapping photos and hopefully the people don't notice. Um, so yeah, it could be from like, you know, streetwear, it could be from the internet, it could like inspiration literally can come from anywhere. Um, and I think for me, like, I have lived, like, a bunch of different lives, you know, in terms of, like, I know a bunch of different kinds of people. I travel in a bunch of different circles. And so for me, having been exposed to, like, all these different types of folks really helps me understand people, right? And people are 
you know, these are the characters. So um, for me, it's like I create these mood boards and uh, a lot of times it's about a color palette. I don't even know who the actor who is going to play the character is sometimes. So it can be very broad strokes in the beginning. And then once you actually get the actor, then you're like, oh, well, that's not going to look good on them. So I will, uh, I'll revise. Um, but for me, I just think it's like an inherent thing. Like, I feel like I fell into like the right career because like I, I look at, one of the most important things I think people don't understand is there's literally, there's just words, as we know, in a script. There's no pictures. There's no, like, no one's telling you. They might give you a line like, oh, uh, fancy cowboy. And you're like, okay, well, fancy cowboy, that, sh that could be anything. Like, let me think what that could be. And, like, I know for myself I'm, like, an overachiever. I'm always trying to one-up myself, like, literally every job. So I'm, like, staying up, like, 24 hours trying to find, like, the perfect thing. Um, so I do think, like, character building, you know, and finding, like, you know, what the first steps are, creating the mood board, um, figuring out, like, how you really visualize these people, and then pitching those ideas to the director and the producers, or, you know, once you get the actor, the actor themselves. Um, I'm going to use my experience on taking over P-Valley of what I did. So... I think for me, because the season one, the base was already there and where the story took a turn was now there was this opportunity for COVID to be a factor in that. So what did that mean in terms of mass? And if you worked in somewhere as elaborate as the pink, would your, would your mask match your outfit? I think... Um, there, there was this opportunity to give backstory, right? Um, if you're familiar with the sh with the show, I think I always try to use my family and the stories of my grandmother's pictures and my grandfather's pictures to influence when there's flashback scenes. And one of the things that I was able to see that season was number one, um, the first the first episode that I came in on there was this ball. So there was this opportunity for me to elevate everything a little bit, right? Where, you know, now you're talking about investors who want to buy the pink and want to, and want to, you know, see the point of how this land is expensive. And so what does that mean in terms of the legacy of the club? And you get to see where Uncle Clifford's grandmother comes from. You know, some people end up inheriting jewelry, some people end up, you know, inheriting corporate companies. And for Uncle Cliff Clifford, he inherited a club. But what did that look like decades before then? You know, for people who ha come from a culture where dancing and having a safe place to go to have a good time, where his grandfather could be at the bar, his grandmother would be running it, what would that look like? And how does that influence the audience? And... I really thought about, you know, the family photos that I looked at. And um, there's always this opportunity for me to have a conversation with the showrunners and the producers to say, just because people don't have money doesn't look like they don't, that they're poor. I think a lot of times that's something that people get confused. It's like you don't need to have a lot of money to show that you can still be very well put together. And so, you know, going from a show like Ballers where, you know, we have Ricky Jarrett and Chanel robes 
and then going to a show like Atlanta where you can say, okay, these guys are from Atlanta. They don't have a lot of money, but Paperboy is on the road now and doing shows. He would actually have vendors giving him stuff to incorporate what would be real in real life. Donald actually attached to that. He was like, that's actually accurate. I give my brother sneakers and clothes all the time. So I think I like to put real life scenarios into what my design aspect is and making sure that I'm building a complete canvas from beginning to end that tells a story so that it's not just a strip club in the end. This is a legacy that his grandmother has had as a juke joint that they've made into a club over the years. And so this is why it's important not to just sell it. But then the female who chooses to sell it, who's a dancer, what does her elevation look like and why someone would want to buy something from her? I think, like Tracy said, when we're given something, there's just words on a paper and it's actually up to us to make it believable and bring it to life so that the story can complete itself. And costumes is a really big part of that that I think people take for granted sometimes because we all just get up and dress ourselves. But in television, you have this obligation to tell a story from the beginning to the end and with multiple directors who come in and out that have their own vision of what the story is, but the designer has to stay true to what the overall canvas of the story is. I love that so much. I mean, television and like just media, it's an immersive storytelling and it's a three-dimensional storytelling that y'all are adding another dimension, another level to what's being told. And this segues into like another question, a question that I always think about when y'all approach like a series, especially or um, a season of a television show, how you talk about this too, how do you show the progression of a, I wouldn't say a character's growth necessarily, because that's not always what happens, but a character's progression through the length of a series from like the first episode to the series finale or something like that, or like their aspirations and all of that stuff. Are there like specific other specific moments? Cause you mentioned that too, but. So for me, um, season three of Atlanta, I consulted with the designer in Europe on some brands that I thought that they should wear. And then I used that to influence how the cast looked in season four, because the more you travel European, the more you see influence of different styles and fashions, the more it influences who you are. So I used that opportunity to elevate those characters when they came back. On P-Valley, I felt like as one of the main things that I did when, when I spoke to Katoria's, I asked her, where, where are they now currently? Meaning like, how has the pink influenced them? And at the time, um, she was like, you know, the pink has been closed. It's been elevated. Um, we're we're going to open up, you know, we're going to open the club back up. And I thought, well, what does that mean, right? Like, if this is the crowd that looks for that opportunity, everyone would be dressed to the nines. Like, everyone is going to go above and beyond. Everything would be over the top. And so when you have a character like a Mercedes who is now trying to play a mother outside of just being a stripper. It's an opportunity as a designer to show two different sides to a character. 
not just the the mom that shows up in leggings and a jean jacket that wants to be there for her daughter, but to show the elevation of her wanting to be a business owner to open up her own dance studio and to actually, you know, be able to be someone who her daughter can visually look at and count on. Um, For Autumn's character, she was trying to be a business opportunity. She was going more into politics. So that meant more suits for her to really deter her away from looking like someone who could potentially even be confused as a dancer. Um, Again, the backstory of Uncle Clifford, um, of how he transitioned from going into women's clothing and what that looked like for him as a small boy. I think in character building, it's even if even if the writers don't tell us, we think about it. Where did they come from? Where are they going? Where's the story leading? And I just think about how it would influence our, us in our real lives to make it believable. Taking notes over there. <laughs> Follow-up question that I wanted to ask too. Um, and then, because y'all have been talking about this too, so y'all work closely with the showrunners, writers, directors, and actors. Tell me a little bit more about that process of working with them, and like, how do you approach it, and like, still make it your own, but also within their vision as well. Well, I think that for you know, for me, I come into it with like. Um, I'm a visual storyteller, right? Like, it's important to me to tell the story visually through clothes, and that way it's also, like, giving you an idea of who those characters are, like, initially, right, by the way someone is dressed. Um, And when you're working with, like, showrunners, producers, and actors, um, it is hopefully very collaborative. I feel like I've been very lucky, like, with Ryan Johnson and with Natasha, like, they were very big on me pitching ideas, right? Like, well, what do you think, Tracy? And well, don't ask me that because I'm going to tell you everything about this character, right? And like Tiffany said, like, I'm really big on uh, the backstory, right? Because everyone's like, okay, well, where did, Natasha, where did Charlie Kale get these clothes, right? Okay, well... The first episode, you see that she lives in a trailer. She's not that clean. There is stuff everywhere. So obviously, she has, like, some T-shirts in her car or some dirty jacket she's had in there forever. You know, maybe an old pair of boots or whatever. It's like, so she had some clothes in her car, right? And then you see her going to gas stations and things along the way in the episode. And I was like, well, she got that baseball hat from a gas station. She got those sunglasses. You know, they're like $2 or whatever. And so for me, I'm always trying to ground it in realism, even when, you know, I've done comedies that are, like, ridiculous. But for me, it's always got to be real. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not doing my job, right? Because it's up to me to keep the character sort of grounded. Um, And in terms of just working with those types of people, uh, they all have their ideas, too, you know? And I think that um, I've been very lucky that uh, I present, like, a whole sort of world for them. Um, I work closely with the production designer too, so that, you know, we're all kind of like on the same page. And so when you show like a united front and we're, I'm like, oh, well, I talked to Judy, that's a production designer on Poker Face. And we were thinking X, Y, and Z. And they're like, oh yeah, that works with like the space that works with like, you know, where this person came from or whatever. Um, I think that that's a, that's a, that's a good way to get them, um, on board with your ideas. Uh, yeah. And I really, I think it's about being passionate, you know, like I really think that part of the reason why I'm 
you know, as successful as I am is I live, breathe, and eat this, you know? Like, every day I wake up and I want to go to work and I want to create these characters. And I think that people really pick up on my energy. And, like, I literally just want to do an amazing job, like, every job. So um, I think when you come in like that, that people are, like, really more in tune to, like, wanting to let you do what you want to do. And Natasha and Ryan just let me run with Poker Face. So, and I have to say, like, I have not been in Vogue. I had not been in W. I had not been in GQ. And Poker Face got me into those, mm -hmm. those magazines. So um, I, in the moment, you don't think, like, oh, I'm doing an amazing job. I just love that everyone was so receptive because, you know, you, you're doing your best. And so when other people see it, you're like, well, that's, that's rad. I've been very lucky. I've, I've worked with amazing people, and they all seem to, like, I, like we jive. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Me? Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, just to piggyback on what you're saying, like, we, if you really love your job, you're never thinking what this character is going to grow into. Mm -hmm. Like, you're never thinking that, you know, um, that someone in you know, Brazil would stop John David Washington and say, we love Ricky Jarrett or that the New York Times would say Uncle Clifford is one of the most best-dressed characters um, because of how controversial it is. I think when you go in to do this job, I think I get so obsessed about what it is that I'm creating, and I forget what can come out of it. And so if the bonus is that someone even if it's just one person that says, oh my God, I love what you did here, it's worth it because we think about it so intensely. You lose sleep. Mm -hmm. I've literally been woken up out of my sleep and thought, oh my God, I can, if, if we did this type of jacket and, you know, or been going in one direction, walking down the street and, and turning back around and going, wait, I have to go back because mm -hmm. I know how I can buy that piece and alter it and make it better. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I think you just want to do good work mm -hmm. and you want to feel good about your work. And what people don't understand about what it is that we do is, although we may not have the final decision, it's still our name. So you hope that you have to have a respectful relationship with the showrunners and the producers so that they at least can hear you out if they I've had I've had them pick something before that I was like I can do better let me give you a better version that's not my favorite version and hope that they trust you enough to give them the better version of something that they already like because to me it's just not good enough so I think if you love your job and you and you're really serious about the craft and you're always striving to do more and get more and think about, well, you know, my, my grandmother's family photos in this era were impeccable. This outfit isn't, it's not giving, it's not doing that for me. It needs to be tighter. It needs to be, it's too big here. She would never do that. I, I think it's all the little details that play into who we are as a person. And to be able to keep our sanity of if someone doesn't love what we love, how to pivot. I think that's another thing that we don't usually get to talk about that, you know, if someone doesn't like something, it's, it's our work, it's our name. And so how do you pivot? So my newest thing is now I just don't offer anything I don't love. Mm. <laughs> 
I could live with all of it. <laughs> like, I, Carrie Washington asked me one day, she was like, well, which one do you love? I love it all. I love it all. She's like, I don't understand. I'm like, I can live with every single piece here because I love all of it. So there's no wrong here. She was like, okay, I get that. <laughs> what do you love the most? That one. <laughs> so, you know, it's just as the years go by, you learn I think you learn new communication skills. Mm -hmm. You learn how to pivot. You learn what not to take personal. You learn how to read between the lines. You know, one time I was I, I was offering some stuff and Donald was like, I want a cool version of this. And I was like, well, what's your version of cool? Because my version of cool and your version of cool are different. What's your version of cool? And he laughed. Like, well, what's your version of cool? <laughs> now we're having a cool version conversation, but... The, 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 the disarming of not understanding what either one of us were talking about is what would help us get to a great option. And I think that's really important. I love this so much. I'm going to just keep saying that over and over again. This is fascinating to me. Um, and sort of getting more into the nitty gritty of it. How do y'all, like, especially because I don't know how this works, how do y'all acquire and create the pieces that you're creating for shows? <laughs> No, because we were talking about it slightly earlier oh today, gosh. and I think it's a fa it's fascinating to me. All right. Well, listen. It depends on the character. It depends on your budget. It depends on where you are. It depends on like how much time you have. Um, yeah, I mean, from everywhere, like anywhere from like Amazon to like you know Bergdorf's. It's like and everything in between. It could be a fabric store downtown, or it could be the most fab uh, famous fabric store, and you're like using Oscar de la Renta fabric. It's like it really. Sometimes you create your own fabric. Like you know, um, I had to use sublimation because we had a. Um, do you guys know what that is? It's like you, you. There's a print that you want or a color that you want a certain fabric to be, and then you create that fabric essentially. So um, in, uh, I think it was episode five, we, I had Judith Light. Um, you all know who Judith Light is. I hope, okay, great. And so um, it, was a, it was an episode with her and Apatha and, you know, Judith was on a trellis and she was supposed to like blend into the trellis. So I had to go to Judy the production designer, one of my favorites. And I was like, hey, what does this trellis look like? Like, I need, I need to know so she can blend in. And she was like, I haven't created the trellis yet. I was like, the outfit works in four days. I need to know what the trellis looks like. And she was like, oh, shit. She was like, okay, I'll get it for you today. I'll get it for you today. I did not get it to the next day. Um, but that's fine. So uh, we, I took great photos of the trellis. I went down. I spoke to the, the sublimation people. And then we created the fabric. And then, you know, I created a bodysuit and a, a pair of pants for her to climb up a trellis and to, to, you know, to be camouflaged. So that's just one instance of, like, A, how fast you have to have something done. I had to have that fabric made in 24 hours. I had to have the outfit made in 24 hours. Then I had to fit it on her and then like, you know, do the alterations and then she wore it the next morning. So, I mean, that's just like a small part of what we do. Uh, you know, I was telling Tiffany for Poker Face, I was in the middle of literally nowhere. I was in upstate New York. I don't know if you guys know where Newburgh is. It is like, think of the smallest town you can think of with like no mall. Like, and if there was a mall, it was, like, where Sears used to be. Like, it was, it was just, like, I was, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So there was an outlet mall that was close by. I don't know if you've ever been to an outlet mall. It's not that great. So um, I was freaking out about how I was going to get, like, great clothes. Um, and there was a lot of, like, driving really fast to, like, uh, White Plains, which is, like, an hour and a half away, and getting there and getting back. Like, I mean, Adrian Brody's fitting. 15 minutes before he showed up, I showed up with his clothes. 
So, I mean, it's, it's very pressury sometimes. And I think like inspiration can come from anywhere. You can find the right piece at the right time. I'm always like, oh my God, thank you costume goddesses. Cause you know, randomly like for Ellen Barkin's character, I had come home to LA for a wedding and uh, I happened, I was like, I'm just gonna pop in sacks, right? And I bought two dresses there. That was one of the dresses that she wore. There was a dress she wore on stage. It was the dress for her. And so again, you never know where you're gonna find it. Um, I spent a lot of time thrifting, uh, especially for Charlie Carroll and Natasha's character. There was a bunch of antique malls, and anytime I had time, even on the weekends, um, I would go and I would go through every single piece in every booth because you know it's different vendors. And I found like her her favorite vest that she wore. Like you know, I found like very interesting pieces because I took the time to find them, and we don't always have time. Um, and then there's always a uh, people are sometimes are like, "Where'd you get that?" And I'm like. Amazon. <laughs> I mean, when it works, when it, it works. works, it works. And so sometimes, like I said, you never know where you're going to find the most amazing piece. And I'm not going to lie and say it's not a stressful job because it, it is. But I also think I'm one of those people that kind of maybe thrive on stress, which I don't <laughs> think is uh, very healthy. But I know that when I need to get something done, I'm going to get it done no matter what it takes. And I think that that, you know, makes us good at our jobs because we're problem solvers. Like we're putting out fires every single day. Like sometimes I get a text at five o'clock in the morning. Hey, at 8 a.m. when we go, you know, we're going to shoot this first thing up. Can I have X, Y and Z? And I'm like, it's five o'clock in the morning. Where am I going to find this? And I'm like, OK, well. I'll find it, whatever it is. And so that's kind of like, I think that's kind of the epitome of like our job. We just are like constantly being like, you want that? Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure that out. And you turn around and you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And we do. Um, I think also each show or each movie or something, it requires something different. So, you know, on P-Valley, we do a lot of builds. Um just in terms of the dancers' costumes, because every dancer has a dance double. So then there's that aspect of also factoring in, you know, what the trick is that they're going to do that may accommodate um, something that the actor may want to do, but that the actual real dancer that's doing it is like, I can't do that. Like, she can she can do that. She can have sequence there because she's not really holding on to the pole the way I am. And so there's that meeting in the middle of giving them what they want. Um, when you are dealing with flashbacks, I think um, you can build. Sometimes it's, it's easier to source. But um, when you are told, we want everything pink... <laughs> and we need it in two days within your building. And it may be too much for your tailoring team, so you have to outsource. Um, when I did a movie in Colombia, I couldn't find any men's shoes over a size 12 because most Colum Colombian men don't have feet over a size 12. So when production is casting stuntmen who have a size 16 shoe <laughs> and you know shipping something into Colombia can take three weeks through customs well then you have to find well what's the closest place so I flew to Miami I flew back to LA one time for a weekend you you just have to do what needs to be done um 
And then budget is a big thing. Like the one thing I loved about Sweetwater was that we didn't have a lot of money in terms of wardrobe, but it played a part in the story. You know, if you have a, a player that's being paid $20 a game, then where do you have all these high-end clothes coming from? And I think sometimes people forget when they're watching something what the backstory of the story we're portraying. So what we chose to do was we found um, a costume house that had some really beautiful rentals, and we rented a lot of it and used the rest of the budget to actually build the NBA uniforms. Well, the material from the NBA uniforms doesn't even exist anymore. So we actually had to weave each uniform from scratch and dye it and put the appliques of the numbers. And the CADs that the NBA gave us were actually wrong. So we had to cross-reference them to original photos. So not only are we costume designers, there's times where my assistants scare me because they are private investigators. <laughs> there are certain things that I'm just like, I don't want to know all of that. Like my brain, that will have me up at four in the morning. Why do you know that? Um, but it's all about being resourceful. It's all also about thinking, where do you want your money to go? Like, it's easy to say, well, I want all the women to have these beautiful custom dresses and we can build these. But then... This is a basketball movie. And then you may lose that on the uniforms, which is really important because that's what this is about. And storytelling, that these people don't have a lot of money, but that they, they have the best suits and the best ties and put together. So I think people don't realize... I, I love whenever people, I don't know about you, when they're like, oh my God, your job sounds like so much fun. Walking <laughs> around it, in heels. I'm and like, it's I'm like, in and heels. it's like, it is fun. But there are a lot of days where when you get that five o'clock in the morning phone call and you may have been up till two thinking about some sort of build or I need these sizes because this person is coming in and I'm going to guess that gives you a certain level of anxiety that can either make you better at your job. Thankfully, it makes me better or it can really I have a lot of grace for designers that I see having a hard time, like to the point where in some of the costume houses, when you see them, it's like, how you doing? Like just checking in someone to troubleshoot with like, oh, what are you having a problem sourcing? You know, to be able to have someone else maybe think of something that you can't because you have too much on your mind. But, you know, our teams, it, I have been fortunate to work with some really great teams for the past eight years that I feel like we can fight, we can love each other, we can get along, we can crack jokes and make it a good time because it, it can be a highly stressful opportunity if you need something on the day of and it doesn't get delivered. <laughs> It can be a very stressful environment. But I will say, we're like historians, too. We do a lot of research, you know? It's like, I'm sure you've, you know, it's like for, for um, A League of Their Own, we had 2,000 pages of research, you know, from demographics of where people lived, how their houses looked, what their clothes looked like. You know, I think that a lot of people don't realize all the things that we, we, we need to do before we can even, like, start sourcing the clothes, you know? And so... 
Um, also about like our teams, I think having the right team, having a really good assistant, people that you can rely on is very important. And we're a big community, right? Like sometimes you reach out to people and you're like, like I said, I had, I had actors coming in from Poker Face that I didn't know if they were going to be cast, but it was just kind of a rumor, but I'm in the middle of nowhere. So I would call people like Ellen Barkin. I called one of my friends who had just worked with her and I was like, what are her sizes? What does she like? What does she not like? I'm going to pre-shop it. And even if they don't cast her, I mean, I can return those things, but I was prepared. And so I think that, you know, our sense of community, like amongst designers, like, you know, we try to help each other out. Like, oh, you don't know where to get that? I can help you. Or, hey, I just use this great vendor. I know you're about to you know, make some cleats. Like, you know, I, I had cleats made in Thailand and they were like fast. I can't believe how fast they were. It's like, so I just think like, that's also a backbone of like, you know, is our community. I think that we really do try to help each other out. And I love that. Cause I mean, it's, it benefits everyone. Right. And it it's benefits just like, everyone. And it, yeah. Cause um, you never know when you're going to need something that, you know, someone else may help you source, you know, but, before I was even hired to do ballers, the costume designer that called me, um, I told, I offered her a bunch of companies because I had a bunch of football clients. I was like, you know, whether I get this job or not, you should try to shop all of these jeans because they're really good in the thigh areas for, for your guys. And because I offered to help her without the job, it pretty made, much made her hire me. And we're still friends to this day. Like, she is somebody who, you know, I'm supposed to do lunch with next week. She does her shows. I do my shows. We talk. We laugh. But I think it is that source of community to know that you can call someone and just... Also, we think very different than how other people think of things. Even down to production designers, makeup other costume designers understand things on a different scale than what the other department heads think of. Um, and so if you have that resource to be able to call another costume designer or supervisor or somebody who knows how to be resourceful to help you dig into what could potentially be a problem that's not a problem. Like I love to say, I have an issue, not a problem. Like I have a small issue. This is what it is. I have two solutions. Like Stephen Levinson taught me early in, before I come to somebody with a problem, you should have two solutions. So at least when you're coming to someone, you know, your, showrun your showrunner or someone, you can say, this is what's happening. I have these two solutions. I'm open to if you have a better one. And nine out of 10 times, people are just relieved that you even have a solution that you've figured it out. Whether they don't love the solution or not, they're, they're like, okay, well, those aren't bad. Let's think of some other, but you've already thought about it. And I think that's really important. I love that. I mean, it's a community and kindness goes, like everyone should be as nice. Like being nice doesn't take too much, honestly, right? Kindness like, is free. And helping exactly. people and just, cause people, yeah, in general. there's enough general. work for everyone. Yes. You know, especially now with all the streamers, it's like, there's no need to be competitive. I, I know that we're doing this thing now where, uh, it's, we're all fighting for equal pay. I don't know if you guys know all about this, but I'll make it And good luck with that solidarity. Yes. Okay, thank you. So it's like, you know, uh, not just with WGA, but within like um, the Costume Designers Guild, we've been pay putting on these like pay equity panels and we've been very open about how much we all make because that way if 
if we're making, if I'm making more, you should be making more. You know, it's like we're all, we're trying to bring each other up. And it was never like that before. Um, I've been in the guild for over, over 20 years. And so uh, um, I can tell you, especially, you know, 15 years ago, it was so highly competitive. No one wanted to share any info. No one wanted to like talk about this kinds of things. And now it's so open. I feel like we are, we're doing good work in terms of like bringing each other up. So, yeah, I think that, that that's pretty I love rad. that. I think okay. it's important. Um, and also, I wanted to say, if anyone had, has any questions... Um, oh, okay. Um, let me ask one more question, I think. Uh, I'm, I have 20 minutes. Okay, let me ask one more question, and then um, I'll open it to audience questions. And, I mean, I could talk to y'all forever. I have so many questions. We could talk all day. All the time. Okay, so my last... It's like, it's a, I think it's a fun question because it's going back to that functionality that you were talking about in terms of dancing because you, um, like, the costume designing for people who are dancing or costume designing for retro, retro, I put in quotes, baseball uniforms and stuff like that. How do you think about the functionality of what it is you're creating where people are dancing and stuff like that or people are, like, running around bases and hitting baseballs and blah, blah. Like, I have a story. Yeah, but go ahead. So So with the league of their own, right? Like, you know, the, um, the material doesn't exist anymore, right? Cause it's from the forties. And so, um, we went through a bunch of different tests, right? Because we wanted the fabric to have a little bit of stretch so that the girls could actually like run in them. And if you've, if you know anything about this, uh, they actually, you know, they play in dresses, right? And so there's a lot of like sliding into bases and like, there were so many bruises and like, you know, so we were trying to figure out a way to, um, at least have the, the costume be a little bit more breathable. And then also like, um, and, and be functional. So we found a stretch that actually worked, a bunch of different dye baths to get it right. And then um, I also put some jersey, like breathable jersey into the uniforms, which wasn't a thing back then. But that was so that the girls wouldn't sweat as much. Uh, I think that people don't think about, uh, you know, in terms of like stunt doubles. And so say you find the most amazing thing and there's only one. <laughs> And then you have a body double or a stunt double. You have to recreate these items. Like, I've had to do it more than once because, you know, we love that outfit and it is what it is. And so you have to recreate it. Um, I also think that, you know, in the finale of Poker Face, like, for an example, I think that women usually are in, like, these skimpy outfits and have to do all these stunts, right? They're in bathing suits and, like, dresses. And the dudes are always in, like, sneakers, or like tactical boots and like jeans. And you're like, what? So Natasha's character had to jump off of a boat. She had to crawl under a house. She had to like you know, run. And she's in high heels and a Dolce & Gabbana sequin <laughs> dress. And, you know, uh, when I first got that script, I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what is she going to wear? So it has to be, it can't fall apart in the water, right? She has to be able to run in it. She has to be able to crawl underneath the house in like dirt and gravel. Okay, what is that going to be? Well, it has to have some stretch, right? And it has to not disintegrate when she jumps into the water. She has to be able to, you know, she'd be long sleeves and she's going to be doing this under a house. And it's like, do you think about all that when you go to buy a dress? No. You just want to look cute in your dress. Oh, and she had not need to look cute. Yeah, that, that, was, that, that also was important. So I think that, like, overall, you just don't think about all those things uh, when you're watching the show. But there's a stunt double, and there's a multiples, and there's, like, you know, all these things that go into it that I don't think, you know, is this. Oh, she looked cute. She jumped into the water, and she did all the things, and it was great. 
I do think about that often <laughs> when I see this on TV. Is like if that was with the heels, I would just throw them off. Right. I would never be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. movie business, <laughs> movie magic. You would be shocked though how many professional actresses actually can kick ass in heels. Kudos to them. They have to. Holly Berry can run like... That is like a like a Like a marathon runner in heels. Like, we did a movie and she was like, I got this. I was like, oh, you you do? She's like, yeah, I got it. My jeans stretch, right? And just starts kicking ass. Um, I did a movie called Without Remorse, which is a Tom Clancy movie. Tom Clancy fans are brutal. They will pick apart every patch, uh, signia, so you have to be very accurate. But um, we were shooting, and the supervisor, the German supervisor, was convinced we should get this stuff from Poland. Well, (laughs) Poland did not make the material that we needed. So we ended up having to fly in most of that stuff from the States. And... Um, I think you also have to know when to have the right conversations, right? Like when to step in and say, you know, I understand Poland is cheaper, but I don't know if you know, but Tom Clancy fans are brutal. They would tear us a new one if we get this wrong. And so you have to fly in the correct uniforms from the right place. Um, I did a stunt movie called Shadow Force with Kerry Washington, where she is going to be fighting in Margila tabby boots. Well, the good thing about those is that the separated toe is actually good for balance. And so we rubbered them. And so she loved that she was able to be stylish and that the boots made some sort of performance sense. Um, In P-Valley, it's such an interesting dynamic because like I said, a lot of the actors like to do their own dancing. However, the, the really complicated stuff is done by a double. And Jamaica Craft, who's the choreographer, her and I have worked together for over 20 years. We did the Amory One Thing video together. So we were really excited to be working with each other again. And we were able to have really honest conversations. And sometimes what people don't understand with women is that there are really hard conversations. You know, if you put sequence on a stripper's costume too close to her arm that she's using to wrap on the pole, you can cut into the side of her skin. And your you know, your producers may want sequence and something shiny. And so you have to give them what they want. But one of the things I try to do is also make it safe because you're ruining a shot if you're shooting and now your dancer is bleeding because you have literally gashed. By the time I had gotten there, a lot of the dancers had the weirdest marks in the strangest places because you know, costumes were just matching the doubles to the originals. And it just, it's it's a matter of having a conversation. Once we started having the conversations, you know, the directors would be like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to see it that close. Or Katori would say, the showrunner would say, yeah, I mean, if that's safer, let's do that. But a lot of times, because you're, you're so much under pressure, you're just mimicking the original 
And it could be really dangerous for someone. It can really cut into their skin. A lot of those dancers' uniforms on P-Valley, the interesting, like the intricate details on them, like spikes or metal are, are actually really dangerous. And so, you know, especially in stunts, it's, it's really important to say, okay, we can do this with an original, but we might have to pivot and do something different and cheat it for the stunt double to keep them safe because they're doing more than our actor. Um, I love that so much. I mean, it's the co- like our outfits, our costumes, our costumes, right? Our wardrobe affects every aspect of our lives. They, our personalities, what we do, what we, our function, our walking, our etc. Like, I love that you're thinking about and keeping people safe and just like letting them not sweat as much because I can imagine if it was those heavy fabrics, you, I, I couldn't do that. Or like the sequence thing, like I, that's, it seems so obvious and yet. And it's being a team player, right? Because, because, you know, if you're, if your actors are sweating, makeup is in there 24 seven, you know, if people are getting cut, there's a medic and the actors will want to choke you. (laughs) they're like oh thanks um cut again so you know i think it's also you you just want that respect for yourself as well like if there was an option that would not like and and there's people who i've seen that are total professionals like i remember holly offering to run down a cornfield in a shoe and i was like we can change your boots She's like, no, I got it. I was like, we don't have it. There's mud out there. <laughs> like, let's just change them. We won't see the shoes. It, it won't change your height. But that are committed to, to their craft where they're like, no, I'm okay. I got this. And sometimes it's also up to us to step in to say, no, 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 that's not going to work for you, for your safety. Like this, the optional boot I got you is a lot safer. I've checked with the director. We won't see your feet. It's been raining for two days. It's really slippery out there. And so it's it's just paying attention. It's being a team player. It's about seeing the big picture, which is, I think, what Tiffany was mentioning, like the production designer or, or someone else. Uh, it could be hair, makeup, whatever. Like they don't, they're not thinking about the big picture as much as we are. Um, and so I think that that is a, definitely a costume designer trait. And it goes back to, like, the communities and, like, supporting people and just be thinking logically, honestly, to a degree, yes. right? It's a lot of common sense on our part. It's co- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And trust. Because, you know, in our in Sweetwater, the Globetrotters uh, shorts were made out of satin. There was no give in that satin. So there's a certain level of trust of letting your costumer sew your butt up. <laughs> that is... You know what the I mean? The ultimate like costume, form of trust. Yeah, like, you know, you you have to get dressed in front of us. You have to be honest with us. You know, I feel like I don't love my arms or, you know, is there a way that we can extend this dress to cover right here? Or, you know, for women, it's, you know, it, do, do you think if I'm going to be wearing these jeans the whole movie, if I get bloated, can we get one size bigger? Just the little things that, you know... You think when you do something that only has one change that, oh, they're in the same thing, the whole movie. No, there's 90 versions of that one item. There's the clean versions. There's the semi-dirty versions. It's the blooded versions. It's back to the, it's torn. The je- So there's so many things that go into how we have to think that. I think that the most important thing that we haven't said is it's kind of like Psych 101, like every day. 
all day, you know? How am I going to approach this that it's going to be what we all want it to be and this person is going to be happy with what we want? Yes. Um, and it's, it's about actors. It could be about producers. It could be about a director. And, you know, I think for us, it's always about just the good of the job. And I'm not, I would, I'm not trying to talk an actor into anything that they're uncomfortable with, like none of that stuff. But mostly it's just like, oh, I don't feel comfortable in whatever today. And they're, they're not calling a producer to go into that actor's trailer. They're calling us. And then we go in there and we're like, hey, yeah, this outfit's good. Like, if you really don't like it, we'll find something else. But, like, you know, I, I think that part of, uh, I think part of my, my charm is that I'm extremely honest. Like, all my stuff is on my sleeve. If I'm in a fitting and they put something on and they're like, oh, yep, you don't like this, I'll take this off. Like, they know instantly. Like, I'm, I'm never trying to, like, con anybody into anything. If I come in your room and I say, okay, this looks good, they know to trust me. And if I go in there and, and they're, maybe they're right. Maybe it's, I was like, yeah, this, this, we do need to change this. Like, let, I got this other option. So it, I think that being genuine, authentic, and, and just being, like, trustworthy I think goes so much farther than, than almost anything else uh, being a costume designer. Awesome. Um, thank you all so much. I mean, there's so much more we can talk about, but I will open it to audience questions. Um, you in the front. Um, thank you so much for sharing everything. Um, I'm curious, I recently read something about how a lot of costume design that we're seeing in TV and movies is that impacting how people dress and trends. And I was curious, is this anything, do you think about this at all when you go into projects or on the other side, have you ever seen anybody wearing something that you feel like maybe was inspired by one of the TV shows or movies you worked on? For me, it's like, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Like, my Instagram, almost every day, someone's asking me where I got something, how they can find it, I love it so much, or sometimes they're giving me a hard time because they can't find it, and I'm like, well, it's not my fault, it's sold out, like, <laughs> like so, we shot it a year a before year you ago. saw it, yeah, like, like, I don't know what to tell you, I'm very sorry, I'm like, try Poshmark, um, but yes, I, and then people, there's been a lot of cosplay on, in my clothes, like, for Dead to Me and Natasha for Poker Face, and definitely for A League of Their Own, and then they tag me in it, and then I like to retag you know, like repost it because it's so cool that people are so inspired, you know. Um, and I, I think that what I am trying to do now is that, well, even before, it's like I try to find limited runs, but then I also try to find things that are um, accessible because I know that the um, the fans really love that. And what's what's the, the highest form of comp, you know, a compliment is is imitation. Someone's going out and buying all those things, like Judy from Dead to Me. I mean, that that's was such a phenomenal, like that, I mean, when that show came out again, everyone wanted to, I, I, had, I loved her outfit. Right. I had like so much press from that, just from that one character, because everybody wanted to be that boho chic. I'm like, that's been around forever, but okay. Hey, so I got it at, I mean, a lot of her dresses came from Amazon and I, it was, it was great to be able to, to have that connection with the fans. So to answer your question, yes, it's happened. And I think it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, uh, I definitely used to see, I mean, Ballers was probably one of the craziest ones because there were so many high-end clothes on that show. And I was going to say, didn't they do a pop-up show? We did. A pop-up so, shop with like. So, so, yeah, what we did was, and see, after season two, the show moved from Miami to LA. And one of the things that I pitched to HBO was that we should do a pop-up shop as the intro to the to the new season because basically 
every year, so many people would be like, where did you get this? Where did you get that? And so we did custom pieces leading up to season three in L.A., where you can buy certain, like, collaboration pieces. Like, Kazell did some with us, Bushimi, um, Made Worn. And there were, like, all these, like, custom ballers pieces because the clothes were such a big deal on that show. Um, for Atlanta... Uh, Tell me you got like some a portion. You got a fee. You got something. I did oh, not. Yeah. Are you serious? And that's the thing we're working on not. right now. I, I, I think not. all of us. I did all not. And it was it was my idea. That's yeah. ridiculous. You got to get that stuff in a contract. It was, yeah. It was yeah. My idea. It was Pay my people concept. appropriately. Yeah. We're um, trying. To be to be to be fair though, it did go to a charity. Okay. That's well, that's awesome. so that made me that made me feel better. But you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's one of the things that we're working on. Like, a lot of people don't realize a lot of the things that we create, if they become, you know, a costume, like, I created Teddy Perkins on Atlanta. It's like, when people are trying to be Teddy Perkins, it's like, on Halloween, yeah, you get a tag, but, you know, you're hoping that they don't mass produce a Teddy Perkins because then you're not getting I think about this a lot with with Halloween costumes and stuff like that Uh, CBS.com sold uh, the two broke girl uniforms for $80 a piece and I actually called them and I was like hey can I have like one cent on the dollar literally one cent and they were like we are work for hires so basically anything we create that you guys see on TV they own it and so now what we're doing, which I have found, is like if you create something based off of your show while you're not on the show, like summertime or like right now because we're on strike, um, then you basically can be the proprietor of that. Like you can own that IP and then we can make money that way based off of our characters that we create. So I, it's a whole new world for us in that, in that, in that way. I mean... There is something right now with uh, Colleen Atwood. She has this whole Disney Little Mermaid situation. And she actually got credit. She got paid. It was a whole thing. And so I do think that that is our new... That's our new push because we, like... We're creating. You guys give us paper. You give us paper. And we are the ones that are finding, sourcing, creating, building, making. Bringing these characters to to life. Flushing them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's the the visualization. Yeah. It's it's us. And so, like, we should be paid for that in some sort of way. Yeah. You know? For sure. So. Yes. Um, I think also I've seen that in um, on episode uh, season five of Ballers, we created a fictitious. Uh, clothing brand called Municipal, which is now a real life brand by Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, but we, to be fair, I somewhat knew that that was going to turn into a thing. We have been seeding it for previous seasons, but it's one of those things, like you said, they tell you in the beginning, like, we are work to hires. Anything you create while you are hired, you have to give up your rights to. And so I think the best way to to just get through that without being angry is to be positive and to keep working hard and keep doing really big, trustworthy projects where you get to a place like a Colleen Atwood where you can negotiate on your terms and what you believe is right to get things done in the proper way, because as you see with the writers, to some extent, we're all somehow 
in an advantage that doesn't work great for us, but that works great for the big corporations. And yeah, yeah, it, this is that. That's all, and I didn't even think about that. And that is a thing that should happen. Uh, I want to see if I have time for one more question. Okay, we have five minutes left. Beautiful, you right there. Uh, on the point of giving you the paper, what can screenwriters do, and how can they describe things to set the costume designer up for success? I mean, sometimes they write things in there but then they cast someone that that thing doesn't even pertain to. I love like the idea of something. Sure, give me the idea of something. But um, a lot of times, it I would say over half, 50%, it's not really that because they, who they end up casting or whatever ends up happening is not really like maybe how they envisioned it in the beginning. So it's like, you know, not always a... But I, love, I, I do love a, a nice sentence of like what you think this character will be or look like. Yeah. Um, I just did a pilot where one of the characters was described as she was, this is going to sound really funny. She was a sex phone operator, but that loved the Lord. <laughs> it's actually the, the, the project is 1266. It's Gabourey Sidibe's real life story about how she was a sex phone operator before she became Precious. And so I was the assistant designer on Precious. Were you? Oh, I love oh man! <laughs> and I love her. She's great. she's uh, she is amazing. And so I say that to say, like with this one particular character, it's very much written that you know she is a Jesus loving grandmother who loves the Lord. And once that person was cast, it changed a little. Like they wanted her to look a little bit more Caribbean. They wanted her to look a little so. You can, they can literally write, you know, whatever they want. Female walks in, purple pants, red hair, and then the girl shows up and she's got blue hair. You're like, what the hell happened to? On on Atlanta, there was a there was a character called pink 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 hair, and it was and they described him and they were like, yeah, no, we we kind of just want him to have a pink jacket. I'm like, but he's called pink hair. Not gonna have pink hair? They're like, no. Can you make the jacket pink? I'm like, I guess so. So like, you just constantly have to communicate because even what we see on paper, if you literally follow it on paper, I, I, I don't know about you, but I ask. So do you really want purple pants? Is she gonna come in here with purple hair? Oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> We hired a redhead that's that's curly hair. Okay. Are the pants still purple? No, I mean, we're open now. Oh, okay. Or what I'll do is I'll give them the purple pants, but then I'll do all these other options that I think are better. And then they usually go in with one of our options, I yeah. bet you. Yeah, So the purple pants could go to, like, zebra pants. Yeah. And you're like, it's a better win. One of my favorite stories about that really fast is uh, in AJ and the Queen, that was a RuPaul show that was on Netflix. Um, Lewis was originally written to be like in uh, like Sean John sweatsuits, like supposed to be like in velour sweatsuits. And I did that because that's what Michael Patrick King wanted. Michael Patrick King is the guy from Sex and the City. Anyway, so and then I did it and he was like, oh, no, I hate this. And I was like, OK, well page I showed you reference yeah. you wanted this and he was like I don't want that he's like I, I needed to feel like this and for those yeah okay I was like like this he's like 
yeah, like this. And I was like, okay. But because I had worked with him at that point for almost 10 years, I knew what he meant. So then I went and I designed all these great, like, cashmere, like, um, ponchos and beautiful things that he could, like, twirl around in and be, like, super fabulous. And as soon as he saw the first one, he was like, that's it. And I was like, okay. So, yeah, written on the paper, now, even when you do it, sometimes it's not right. Or imagine you don't work with someone for 10 years and you don't know what this means. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. Like, we should add sign language to that. Yeah. Yep, yep. Vibes. I'm I'm good at interpreting Yes. Um, any other questions? Right here. Um, I often hear actors when they're in period pieces say that putting on a certain costume or an accessory helped to, to make the character real for them. Is that something that you... Yeah, that... Yeah, that's any... That's actually doesn't even matter if it's period. Like, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure... It, Tiffany as well, they're like coming to the fitting, they're not really sure about the character that much, and then they start to get in the clothes, and they're like, I really know who this character is because I can see them visually. I feel like the character now because I'm in these clothes. As far as period goes, I have found that if I use the right foundation, like if I actually use, like if it's the 50s and it's like the, you know, the the bras with the points, mm-hmm. um, they start to feel more like they're from that period, from that time, and it gets them in like the right headspace. So yes, I think in the fitting is where you really, they really find them. I, we have I to wrap up soon, so this will be the very last point. I definitely had that experience yeah. on Sweetwater. I think people um, in the movie knowing that the clothes were older than them helped them get into the nostalgia of what we were creating and really stand behind, you know, them understanding the history. Like, this suit is over... 70 years old and it's an impeccable shape. You know, them understanding that how people then took care of things. Or in P-Valley, like, a, a dancer actually understanding the intricate, like, the intricate details. Like, how are they dancing in this? And, and, and it sometimes helps them have respect for the character that they're playing, for them to understand the, the details of which people are expected to handle a craft. Thank you guys so much for this. Um, Thanks y'all for being here. Thanks to Tiffany and Tracy. Um, Enjoy the rest of your ATX television festival. Bye everybody. Bye. You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast hosted by ATX TV co-founders, Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.